mean so much. It means you know st stability, uh, first and foremost for a franchise, a sense of pride of we know we're going to play at a, a state-of-the-art, best facility in the National Hockey League and a, on a piece of ground that is legendary. Islanders country, hello. This is PTIL's the groundbreaking edition. I'm Isles Blog's Joe Bono. A reminder, you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please rate and review the show or listen on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or over at nyislesblog.com. Our guest tonight is the play-by-play -play radio voice of the New York Islanders, now on ESPN Radio and, of course, WRHU. That's Kinger Chris King, and he joins us now. Chris, thanks for joining us on the cusp of yet another New York Islander season. How you doing? Oh, no problem, Joe. Always great talking hockey with you. So let's start off with the news of the day before we start to preview the season. Uh, that, of course, is Josh Hosang uh, not reporting to Bridgeport. His representatives requested that Lou Lamarillo look into a trade. How do you kind of sum up um, this very brief yet tumultuous career of Josh Hosang and the New York Islanders? I think you used a good word there, Joe, tumultuous, uh, because <laughs> that's the best way to describe it. I mean, uh, there's been some things that have occurred, obviously, off the ice that uh, are crazy. And on the ice, we've seen his incredible skill, his stick handling, his vision, uh, the way he can skate. Just It's amazing, you know, that, that it's never been able to come together. And to be honest, uh, I would, the most shocked I was was when no team – you know, decided to put a claim on on him when, you know, he was available to the other 30 teams when the Islanders put him on waivers to get him back to Bridgeport. So I was just stunned that somebody wouldn't take a chance on him because of that skill set that he has, because of the training camp he was coming off of, because of the preseason he was coming off of. But, uh, you know, you figure somebody would say, hey, we can make it work for him in our system. And it just didn't happen. So, uh, you know, to me, Barry Trotz put it best uh, when he was asked about Josh Hosang before, you know, today's event. He said, I'm disappointed for him personally because obviously, you know, along with Thomas Hickey, you want a chance for those guys to play in the National Hockey League, even if it's somewhere else. But he said, I'm very happy for the organization and that both he and Thomas Hickey, you know, remain with the organization. So, uh, tumultuous, I'm going to stick with your word, Joe. It, it fits perfect because he's got all the skill in the world and it just has not worked out at any point in time. And, you know, over three seasons now into a fourth season, uh, split in time the last three with the Islanders and the Sound Tigers and just never been able to stick at the National Hockey League level. Now, the advantage is that if a team were to trade for him, they can put him straight to the AHL, whereas if they wanted to do that after picking him up on waivers, they would have had to put him on waivers yet again. Um, Lou Lamarillo said they would only make a move if it was in the best interest of the organization. Uh, you know, sitting here as we're talking on Thursday night, do, do you think a trade happens? Or did I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, if nobody wanted him when they could have grabbed him off waivers, I don't know that somebody now is going to give up something for him. So, I mean, you know, you're looking at the two different scenarios. I understand what you're saying about the claim process, but still, you're talking about getting him for nothing versus giving up an asset or, you know, a prospect, a pick, a veteran, something like that. So I think the odds were better that, you know, he went – uh, somebody would have claimed them in the waiver process rather than trade for him. So, um, you know, the Islanders have to decide what they want to do. Lou has to decide what he wants to do in that situation. But it, it's just tough to see for Josh, who, who's a fine young man, but, uh, you know, has made some bad decisions along the way and has so much talent. Uh, that That's the hard part, I think, for Islander fans to see as well is, you know, we've seen him dominate in these prospect games in the summers the last couple of years. I mean, absolutely the best player on the ice. We've seen flashes of that in his time in the National Hockey League each of the last three years. But why can't, you know, it just happen for him on a consistent basis, especially, you know, this year coming off the great camp and the great preseason that he had. 
And of course, uh, he let it known to everyone that they were nine and one uh, when yes. he was up with the team <laughs> last year. Um, let's move on. I think obviously Islander fans feel much better about the team before the start of this year than they did at the start of last season. Still, maybe fans thought they were going to feel even better about the roster because the expectation was is that the Islanders knew as an organization, you know, Lou Lamarillo, Barry Trotz saying they needed a little bit more pop after that Carolina series in the lineup, and they went out. They went out. They made the big offer for Artemi Panarin, $12.5 million AAV was the rumor. Didn't happen. He ended up on Broadway with the Rangers. So on the forward group, not a lot of changes. The only real change is Derek Broussard coming in on a one-year deal, replacing Valtteri Fopola, who had 20 goals and some big clutch goals for the Islanders last season. Uh, let's start with the offense. Do you think collectively there's enough offense for this team to get where they want to be, which is back in that 100-point uh, range um, for the season? Yeah, it's a great question, Joe, and I, and I like you know the fact that you remember that word that Barry Trotz used after they got swept by Carolina, that word pop. He said, you know, we certainly didn't have enough pop at times up front. Um, it's interesting now that, you know, they're saying they're fine offensively, and, you know, Barry has stressed the fact that the five-on-five offensive numbers were pretty good a year ago, but obviously the power play numbers were not. So um, if you have just the one switch it forward, which is really what you have right now, Broussard for Philpola, uh, the only other move you can look to is the fact that, you know, they brought in Jim Hiller, a guy from the Toronto Maple Leafs who's going to coach the power play as a new assistant coach and did have the Leafs at over 21% on the power play a year ago. So if you're looking at, you know, the lack of offense was mostly due to the struggles of the power play, which, let's face it, it was 29th in a 31-team league, uh, you need to improve that area. So that's one way you could say certainly, you know, the offense should improve on the power play. Five on five, the numbers were okay, but I still think, you know, everybody can take another step a step up now that they know Barry's system and everybody's familiar with it. And in talking to the players this week, that's what they've all kind of stressed. They feel way ahead of the game because it's not learning a brand new system. And, you know, everybody have that learning curve to get through before they can find their comfort zone. And, you know, Jordan Eberle was a guy who talked quite a lot about it. He said a year ago, I'm trying to learn this system. And it's, it's very detailed oriented, even talking to Derek Broussard about it today, uh, you know, him experiencing it for the first time. He couldn't believe how you know fine-tuned and and detailed it is, and how the Islanders drill on these things, you know, uh, to the smallest little detail. Barry Trotz does every single day. So you know, Jordan Eberle feels now like it's second nature for him. He doesn't have to think about it. And obviously, you know, had a great end to the regular season, had a great playoffs, had a great preseason. So you know, he's one guy I think that's certainly going to pass 19 goals of a year ago if he uh, you know feels more comfortable in the system. And I think the other forwards would would echo those same sentiments. You mentioned Jordan Everly and the 19 goals last season. Uh, probably at the mid-year point, probably not someone the Islander fans expected to be back yet. He was the first of their free agents to resign. Um, do you think, how much of it do you think he'll benefit just by playing with Matt Barzell? We saw two years ago them looked like they had a lot of chemistry. They weren't paired together to start the season, uh, but come playoffs they were again. Do you think that uh, that chemistry ends up uh, leading to a lot more offensive production for maybe both players? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you make the great point. Two seasons ago, remember, that was almost the, the guy he played with the whole season. It was Barzell in the middle, and it was Andrew Ladd on the left to start. And then when he got hurt, it was Anthony Beauvillier, uh, you know, forming some nice chemistry on that line. So, yeah, I think you can only help him when you're playing with a playmaker like Matt Barzell, who's obviously put up great numbers in his first two years as an Islander. And uh, Everly's been as streaky as a scorer as you can come by. 
you know, throughout his career, but yet he always seemed to find a way to that 20-goal mark. And I think the numbers last year at the end, I think he had five goals in the last seven games and came up one goal short of yet another. It would have been a six-straight 20-goal season. So he always finds his way to 20. I think, you know, the ceiling can be a little higher for him, especially if you're going to play an entire season with Matt Barzell and obviously Anders Lee on the other side. Um, that looks like the, you know, the line that's certainly going to start the season. They were great in the preseason. Barry Trotz gave them a lot of run. They had some terrific games uh, where they put up a lot of points, and even nights when they weren't putting up points, they were getting 15 shots on goal as a line. So, yeah, I think you know, Jordan Eberle could have a breakout season. He really could, based on you know, the way he's been going of late and you know, what I just told you about him saying you know, the, the system is now secondary to him. He doesn't have to think about it anymore. It just happens for him. Joe Bono, P.T. Isles, Chris King is our guest, the radio play-by-play voice of the New York Islanders back on ESPN Radio. Um, you mentioned breakout seasons. Uh, maybe offensively last year, Casey Sezikis had the biggest, a 20-goal scorer. Uh, when you look at that forward group now, is, is it Michael Dalcole? Is it Anthony Beauvillier? Who, who's, the, who's the player that maybe didn't uh, take that next step last year that the Islanders are going to have to get more goal production from? Yeah, I think I would go with those two kids, Anthony Bovilla and Michael Dalcole. Uh, you know, Bo, to me, could do better than the 18 goals he had. Obviously, he had, you know, over 22 years ago uh, in his rookie season, so dropped down a little bit to 18. And, and you know, he's shown flashes, too. He had that incredible game uh, against the Rangers, uh, Barclays Center in the 7-5 win with a hat trick and four points. So you see, you know, little flashes of what Bo can do. And, and yeah, Michael Dalcole, you know, making the team for the first time out of training camp. Uh, you know, a point-a-game guy at Bridgeport only had seven points in 28 games last year. But, you know, if he's going to get a chance to play on that second line where it looks like he's going to start tomorrow night with Nelson and Bailey uh, and some power play time, too. He's been on the power play units, uh, which Barry Trotz refuses to label one and two or A and B right now. He says, you know, the hot hand is going to go. So, yeah, if he's, if he's going to play with uh, Brock Nelson and Josh Bailey, I think he's going to, you know, pile up some points, especially if he gets that power play time. So those are, you know, two young players I would look to. Anthony Beauvillier is 22. Michael Dalcole is 23, um, who could certainly have improved offensive numbers from a year ago. And before we move over to the blue line, I do want to get your thoughts on a couple of players that will not start the season with the Islanders and may not be a part of this team this year. And uh, that's Oliver Wallstrom. And the other is Simon Holstrom, who, um, both players, you know, Wallstrom did not get a lot of rave reviews in terms of his time spent with Boston College last year, played better at Bridgeport, but people feel like he's close now. So um, maybe the trajectory people felt was going down, the trend was down, and all of a sudden he really turned it on. And Holmstrom's a guy that uh, a lot of Islander fans did not know, injury-prone coming in terms of what he's done in Sweden, didn't really know a lot about him when he was drafted, but he seemed to be someone that really opened eyes uh, amongst the Islanders uh, front office and he will be starting the se- season at Bridgeport as well at a very young age. Yeah, well, let's start with Wallstrom. Uh, I mean, you know, to his credit, he came out and said the college life just wasn't for me. It's not what I wanted. You know, he had the one year at BC. I actually got to see him play in the Beanpot tournament up there where he played pretty well. Uh, you know, coming off World Juniors where he really raised his confidence level, but you know, he finished the regular season with the Bridgeport Sound Tigers, had a couple of goals in the last five regular season games, had a couple of goals and four points in five playoff games. So, you know, certainly got confidence with his first taste of pro hockey at only 19 years of age. 
and uh, has that wicked release, still has that lethal release. Uh, one of the preseason games this year, I remember he got five shots on goal. He was really just letting it fly from, from all areas. So the fact that you know now he knows he's putting the college life behind him, that, that didn't suit him. His sole focus is you know to be a professional hockey player and get better at Bridgeport, and I think that's what will happen for him. And you know Barry Trotz today was asked about Simon Holmstrom, who's just 18 years of age and was the Islanders' you know, first pick in this past summer's draft, and he was thrilled with the fact that, again, he didn't have to go back to Sweden and the Islanders decided to put him at Bridgeport where he can really grow in their system as well. So it's kind of one of those, you know, the, the crazy little loophole in the rules, if you were, where a guy like Noah Dobson was ineligible to go to Bridgeport because he's a Canadian junior player, but yet Simon Holmstrom, who's 18 and European, can go there, and Oliver Wallstrom, who's 19 and American, can go there as well. Uh, you know, Lou Lamorello told me point blank earlier this week, if Noah Dobson didn't have that – uh, you know, loophole where he's not allowed to go to Bridgeport, he would have sent him there. That's where he would have started the season. So uh, I worked out for Dobson, who starts with the big club, but uh, I'm really excited to watch both Holmstrom and Wallstrom and see what they can do with the Sound Tigers, who have, you know, an exciting young roster right now. I think Brent Thompson's going to have a lot of fun coaching those young guys this season. Yeah, a number of first-round picks at Bridgeport. Then, of course, some familiar faces, Thomas Hickey and, and Colin McDonald back uh, with the Islander organization as well uh, for fans that want to check out Islander games in, in Bridgeport. Uh, let's talk about the defense group because, uh, you know, two years ago, if you said the Islanders' defense was their strength of their team, I mean, I don't think anyone would have expected that. But this defense core is now deep, and it is young, and it seemed to just get better and better last year. And things really started to turn last year when Devontae's join the group. So what does a full season of Taze and then Ryan Pulak, who really started to get into his own last year, a full season of those guys playing at that level? Yeah, it's going to be fun, Joe. Absolutely right. And, you know, you look at the young guys who, you know, Islander fans always looked at as, you know, one day hopefully they can take the next step. And certainly Adam Pellick has and Ryan Pollock has and Devon Taves has. And now you have a 19-year-old in Noah Dobson who's making this team. So, yeah, I mean, Hickey's injury opened the door for Taves. Let's remember, you know, he probably doesn't even come up at all last year if Thomas Hickey doesn't get injured. But he comes up, he gets his first, you know, 48 games in the National Hockey League, puts up 18 points. Uh, we could see the way he skates the puck, the way he shoots the puck got some power play time back there so uh you know i love devon taves games obviously ryan pullock is is one of the best young emerging defensemen in the national hockey league he's got that big booming shot and now noah dobson who's done you know everything you can do in junior winning back-to-back memorial cups back-to-back qmjhl titles mvp of the the q playoffs uh, nothing more for him to do there and he's in that very similar mold so i see you know, Pollock and Taves and Dobson as great dynamic defensemen who all have offensive capabilities, can rush the puck and shoot the puck, see the ice so well. And if you look at the way the pairs are laid out right now, you know, what I expect to see tomorrow night, you got Pollock and Pellick on one pair who played so much together last year. Obviously, Ryan is the offensive guy. You got Taves and Mayfield. Devon will be the offensive guy. And you got Letty and Boychuk, where Letty will be the offensive guy. And, you know, Nick coming off a, a bounce-back season, a really good season last year, as opposed to the one two years ago where he really struggled especially in the plus minus department so each one of those pairings kind of has a stay-at-home guy and an offensive defenseman and certainly Noah Dobson who you know Barry Trotz said today isn't a hundred percent he tweaked something recently Barry said I'd put him in the high 80s right now and today it didn't look like uh, you know he's going to make his NHL debut tomorrow night he was skating on a fourth pair with Lucas Pisa, who's still with the team on a professional tryout. So um, I just like the balance. I like the balance of those pairings with one offensive defenseman and one defensive defenseman on all three pairs right now. 
And when you look at Noah Dobson, and you just mentioned that Lou said, hey, listen, if the rules were different, he would have started the season in Bridgeport. Um, do you think he has a real chance to stick with this group, given the depth that they already have and, and, and having Thomas Hickey at Bridgeport? Or do you think it's you know that really that nine games may be scattered uh, throughout the course of the season? Like, does he benefit from being with the team, even if he's only going to be in – uh, games here and there as a, as kind of a plug and play guy, or do you think at 19 years old he can actually be in the in the thick of the top six at some point? Yeah, I think he can get there. Uh, you know, certainly uh, I, they're going to give him the opportunity, as you said. He's got the nine games he could play before going back to junior without burning a year on his entry level contract. So I think he'll certainly get to that mark. But uh, you know, does he get into the lineup if if everybody's healthy? Maybe in a back-to-back situation. Maybe you give Johnny Boychuk a night off in a back-to-back situation just to see what he can do. Um, but I'd like to think you know they want him playing. I know he will learn a ton just practicing at this level. I talked to Noah Dobson today. Obviously, he was just thrilled to make the team. The fact that you know he's going to be on the roster now come opening night. That the 23-man roster is just uh, you know a big a big big step up for him. But you know Barry Trotz and Lou Lamorello. Both said there's nothing more for him to do at junior. And Barry said sometimes that can really hurt the development of a young player when you can dominate like he has the last two years at junior and do it you know, almost without breaking a sweat. There's nothing more to learn there. So you don't want a wasted year where he's just dominating you know, 19-year-old players again like he has for the last two years. So I think he does have a chance to crack that top six. I do. So um, you know, let's see how they, they get him in. If everybody stays healthy, I think Johnny Boychuk's the one guy maybe that you can say, hey, give him a night off with his injury history and let's see what Noah Dobson can do and then you know look what Devon Taves did given the opportunity last year to get in and show what he can do and never came out after that Noah Dobson perhaps could do the same thing yeah it'll be very fascinating and especially because I think Islander fans have gotten accustomed to maybe being overly patient with Ryan Pollock and being overly patient with Devon Taves and granted there were injuries mixed in there too that may have delayed them coming in but those guys really becoming figures uh, at 23, 24 years old, and here you have a 19-year-old that might uh, get thrown in the mix and stick around for a long, long time. And of course, Islander fans, if he does go back down the juniors, it's okay. Uh, Matt Barzell had two games, had that memorable moment where he came out of the penalty <laughs> box, puck, yep. puck hit his skate, went right back in the box, and then went down the juniors. And of course, he came back and was the Calder Trophy winner uh, the year after. <laughs> let's Let's move on to net. And obviously, this was probably you know, got the most attention controversy uh, during the off season. And that of course was the um, signing of, of Arlamov and allowing Robin Leonard, who um, obviously uh, carried this team into the playoffs last year, remarkable personal story and tremendous production for the team, really a true bond with the fan base as well. He goes to Chicago on a one-year deal, a lot of kind of mystery around how those negotiations went, but it is what it is. And those players are what they are. Um, you know, even if this goaltending isn't as good as it was last year, it still has the opportunity, I think, to be a really strong pair. Uh, what are your early impressions of Vralarmov and, and that pairing with Thomas Grice? Yeah, I, I agree with you, and, and I think there's a lot that really goes into this, Joe. There's so much. Uh, it, it's on so many different levels. First of all, you know, let's let's not forget Thomas Grice, okay? The Jennings Trophy was shared by Robin Leonard and Thomas Grice, and yes, Robin Leonard was a Vezina finalist, but I think people forget you know, Thomas Grice last year finished top five in the NHL in both goals against average and save percentage. 
top five in the league. So the Islanders obviously allowed, you know, the fewest goals against, and that's why they split the trophy. But he did his share along with Robin Leonard's, and his numbers were just a hair, you know, off what Robin Leonard did in being that finalist for the Vezina Trophy. So Thomas Grice is certainly going to be there. He's going to be, you know, the guy you get each and every night that, as Barry Trotz said, I could tell him he's playing 10 in a row or he's sitting 10 in a row, and he'd have the same attitude. So that's Thomas Grice. Semyon Varlamov is a guy that, you know, Lou Lamorello has told us now he was actually looking at even prior to last year as trying to bring over. And I think, you know, the deeper part of the whole Varlamov thing is obviously the young goaltender the Islanders have in the KHL in Russia and Ilya Sorokin. Ilya Sorokin is in his final year playing on the KHL contract. So Thomas Grice is in his final year of the Islander contract. So if you kind of, you know, put two and two together, it looks like a year from now, Grice would have completed his Islander contract. Ilya Sorokin would be available to come over to the Islanders. And obviously being a Russian who's never been in North America, suddenly the Islanders sign a Russian goalie in Semyon Varlamov, who speaks the language of Sorokin, who knows Sorokin, who has come out and said, you know, Sorokin is by far the best goaltender right now in the entire KHL. And, you know, Ilya a year ago won a championship there and was MVP of the playoffs. So I think this move is, is more towards down the road of what you're going to have in the future. And Varlamov gets the four-year deal. So if Sorokin comes over, that could be your pairing for the next couple of years. And in Semyon Varlamov, to me, Joe, you know, he looks a lot like Robin Leonard did prior to last season. I've seen great flashes of brilliance from Semyon Varlamov, but just not that consistency. But Lou Lamorello knows, look, when Robin Leonard came here, he was battling you know, things off the ice, obviously, that that he revealed uh, just before opening night. But as far as on the ice stuff, uh, Lou knew right away, look, I've got the two best goalie coaches maybe in the entire NHL in Mitch Korn and Piero Greco. And, you know, the wonders they work with Robin Leonard, I have no doubt that they can do the same thing with Semyon Varlamov. I talked to Varley today about working with those goalie coaches, and he loves the fact that they're out there every morning, you know, 30 to 45 minutes on the ice before the whole team comes out, just working on things that are going to help him improve as a goaltender. So I really think those two goalie coaches are going to get the most consistent game possible out of Semyon Varlamov, and I do think they can do for Varley exactly what they did for Robin Leonard. You know, so much is talked about the Barry Trotz system, and maybe the focus is obviously on the forward group and the defense and how they change their games. But how how does that system then also work with the goaltending in terms of communication, in terms of, you know, how they uh, approach shots and create sight lines for goaltenders and things like that? Because obviously it's not just the defense. It's not just the forwards. The goalies have a part to play in this kind of system and structure that's uh, so talked about. Yeah, Varley was asked about that today, and he said, you know, he liked what he's seen so far. And I think the reason goalies like it so much, Joe, is it's a system that says, look, if the other team wants to shoot from the perimeter, let's say, you know, outside the house, that area that they they call the house, the area that extends from the front of the net basically to the dots, um, you know, let them shoot all they want from outside the house, but just eliminate those high-quality chances from the house area that are going to be point-blank opportunities that are toughest saves for goaltenders to make. So the fact that the focus of the Islander defense is to eliminate those high-quality scoring chances almost entirely certainly helps the goaltenders knowing that, you know, the, 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 the majority of shots they are going to see are going to come from outside that area. They're going to be from along the walls. They're going to be from out on the blue line. They're going to be from down by the goal line. They're not going to be the ones directly in front of the net and you know to the dots so I think that's the biggest thing that the goaltenders like and obviously you know for Thomas Grice and Robin Leonard a year ago it helped them tremendously uh you know you look at the numbers that they both posted as I said you know both were top five in the NHL in both goals against average and save percentage I do want to ask you about Belmont and how that event was on Saturday but before I do um obviously the Islanders brought back their free agents and among them were 
Brock Nelson and Anders Lee and Josh Bailey had signed uh, during the season the year prior. Maybe the Islanders still haven't picked up that big fish, um, you know, the prize free agent to come um, to uh, Long Island. Maybe that changes with Belmont coming. But, you know, what did it say to you that, you know, these players and in, in all their cases except Lee made the decisions early and rather than test the markets, wanted to come back to this team, to this organization and, and this culture um, that whether or not you think the Islanders are going to regress or not, and, and many experts do, uh, it seems like it's definitely turned a corner. I agree, Joe. I agree. You know, uh, it says lots, right? They, they they certainly all had the chance to go elsewhere if they wanted to. And, you know, at the end of last season when Lou Lamorello said, my goal is to bring them all back, I don't think anybody thought that they all would come back. But in the end, they all did. As you mentioned, only Anders even got to July 1st. So he had the other two guys in the fold before then. You know, Everly gets five years. Nelson gets six. The captain gets seven. And, you know, you're going to have this group together for a long time. So I think, you know, they saw something in Barry Trotz and, and the incredible turnaround season this club had, the best regular season the Islanders have had in 35 years last year with 103 points. And, you know, uh, to outsiders, maybe the, the arena situation doesn't look ideal when you're splitting time between the Coliseum and and. Barclays Center in Brooklyn, but now, as you mentioned, you have that groundbreaking ceremony with the governor and the commissioner and, and all the dignitaries there, and then you have that season ticket holder event that I was lucky enough to MC Saturday at Belmont Park, and, and, you know, you walk over to that fence, and you look at the hole now, and you see the arena start to be built, and it really hits home, and I'll tell you, Joe, for me, you know, I had read about it, I'd heard about it, I'd seen pictures, but until you stand there and actually look into the hole and see the trucks and the cranes and the dirt and the, you know, and, and the, the big hole hole that's now starting to fill up a little bit it really hits home that you know this is happening this is going to be a shining beautiful building that's going to be the islanders own it's going to be brand new and i asked lou lamorello about it for an interview that's going to run first intermission tomorrow night and and he agreed he said you know what you know i've always lou is very confident it was always going to happen he never had no any doubt whatsoever about it but I think, you know, to show free agents that the construction's underway and then show them the renderings and say, look, in two years, you're not going to be splitting time anymore. You're going to be in, you know, what hopefully becomes the best building in the National Hockey League because John Ledecky and Scott Malkin have visited every NHL building and almost every NBA building as well just to try to take the best of every single building in those two leagues and incorporate, you know, what fans have told them they want. So uh, it should be just a, a tremendous shining beacon of a building when it gets completed. And the Islanders may not be playing in the best building right now, but maybe the loudest when the uh, crowd is full, and they'll be playing 28 games at the Coliseum during the regular season, 13 at Barclay Center. We'll see how that plays out if and when Islanders make the playoffs and, and whether or not it's a similar setup as last year or if uh, they could play more uh, rounds at the Nassau Coliseum. But just on that overall point, I was watching a clip of – from the 1995-96 home opener the other night because I have a one-year-old daughter. I have a one-year-old daughter now, and this is what the I fisherman do. jersey was on, wasn't it? It was the debut of it. You have Stan talking about it. They had this really, you know, Niles is on the ice. Oh, and, Niles! Uh, Don't forget him. It's really bizarre. And then they go through a video package, and and Harry Rose, I think he was probably in his first season, um, is is talking over the video package, and he says. Quote, that's, that's the building we're in right now, as the video was showing the Coliseum, but there's a lot of speculation whether or not the Islanders will be playing in a spanking new building <laughs> in the next five to six years. And that was 1995. Wow. It's the show. And I was thinking, watching and seeing pictures, and the Islanders' social media had the um, hashtag my Belmont moment, and you're seeing 18-year-olds, 20, 21-year-olds. They weren't born when he was saying that. Just the show 
um, how big of a deal this is uh, that these owners came in um, thinking that, um, you know, people under the impression that it was an ironclad 25-year lease in Barclay Center, and a year, year and a half into that, this kind of groundswell of speculation started to happening around Belmont, and, and here we are, uh, that it's, and it's that it's very very real. That's going to happen. It, it is it is crazy for an Islander fan. Yeah, it is. No matter how old you are, but especially for those of us that uh, do remember the initial kind of talk about a new arena happening. Yeah, it's decades, Joe. As you said, this is you're talking about mid '90s, right? So we're talking about decades now in the making. And I was glad, you know, that John Ledecky in both the official groundbreaking ceremony and the season ticket holder uh, event as well brought up Charles Wong because almost from the moment Charles Wong brought the team. Uh, bought the team, you know, that's what he wanted. He wanted a new building. He tried so many different ways to get it hap- to happen, and it's a sad thing that he passed, you know, a year before they, they, they got those silver shovels into the dirt. No, it certainly was, but a big part of Charles Wong's legacy will be that Belmont Arena, especially for those fans that know what he did to keep this team in the metropolitan area to allow a moment to happen like it did on Saturday. Chris, we really appreciate you helping us preview the season, and we hope to talk to you later on this year. Oh, no problem, Joe. Always great talking hockey with you.